Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Today's guest is entrepreneur Michelle Falcon, who owns and operates Borrow and Petty Cash, two of the most successful restaurants in Toronto, generating tens of millions of dollars with over 150 employees. We first met at MMT this past fall at the annual conference, and we hit it off after discussing his People First Culture, which he just released the book of the same name. Michelle is a practitioner who is sharing his ideas as a keynote speaker all over the country, and I am pumped to welcome today to share the secret sauce that is the People First Culture. Michelle, welcome to Business Done Differently. Jesse, thank you so, so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. I am absolutely pumped for this because we speak the absolute same language. You know, we say fans first, you say people first. It's the same thing. And I want to get some origin stories because I know our origin story is crazy on how we started the Savannah Bananas. But you've grown Borrow into a huge restaurant in just a couple of years. Can you share how it happened and how you deployed this people first culture? Well, I didn't actually have it codified. And what I mean by that is people first culture is described as building a business that employees and customers will admire. And that was something I've always been trying to build and will always build if I venture off into something else. But it wasn't until about a year ago where I actually codified it. And our peers in uh, MMT actually gave some suggestions. And of those suggestions came the people first culture. And it was actually one thing that I was going back and forth on, and I settled on it. Hospitality is extraordinarily competitive, similar to entertainment and sports and in your world as well, too. Because at the end of the day, you and I are in the same business because people are allocating their time and money to be entertained. Now, whether it's at a ball game or at a restaurant, we're in the same line of work. And how are we going to be different? Then our competitors, our two venues are on a street called King Street in downtown Toronto. Definitely the most competitive street for entertainment and hospitality in Canada. And I would argue probably top five in North America. Now, we could only differentiate ourselves through great cocktails and food for so long. It was the people first culture that I introduced into the organization uh, that allows us to remain competitive, earn loyalty through our guests and through our employees as well, too. Now, I, I want to know, like, not everyone cares about this. I mean, I think, you know, so many people are driven by, you know, revenues, profits, growth. You were in with working with 1-800-GOT-JUNK and then on the call center and then became part of this. How did that transition? Because I think people need to know a little bit of context on how you went from one area to a completely different area. I describe this as my quote-unquote come up or my career trajectory is quite bizarre. It's unusual. Hopefully one that individuals can learn from. I started off in the call center in my early 20s of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, a company that went from one gentleman and a pickup truck picking up people's trash for revenue in 1989 to now we're now doing a quarter billion dollars a year in sales and 
today, it's still one owner. So a true, true business. Uh, I left business school because I wasn't really learning much in how to grow a business because I was studying for my business administration degree. And that's not a jab at the education system. It's just I'm not an academic. So I said, why don't I go work for a company that has grown from nothing to something admired? And that organization was either going to be Lululemon, uh, their uh, retailer, or 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And 1-800-GOT-JUNK had just won Canada's Best Workplace Award for the second year in a row in 2007. I said, I think this is the company. So I started off in the call center. Uh, I was there for five years. I got promoted once a year, so five times in five years because I gave myself to my career. And and it was early on in my tenure at the company where I recognized revenue, profitability, brand admiration, all these things can be achieved by building a culture of serving people and, and servant leadership. And I learned that I went ahead and got junk. I ventured off on my own and I started doing some management consulting under the topics of customer experience, employee engagement, and company culture. And started off humble beginnings, working with small organizations in, in Vancouver, but it was very rewarding. Then the clients started getting bigger. Blue Cross Blue Shield, Electronic Arts, uh, Verizon Wireless. Uh, truth be told, the first time Verizon Wireless reached out to me, I thought it was my friend Andrew Pollard playing a prank on me. <laughs> and then hospitality presented itself. A friend of mine named Brandon, who is now my business partner, Set. We had always wanted to work together because we saw business from the same lens and how it should operate. And he was he called me and said, we're opening up a 16,000 square foot venue. We're going to need 100 employees from day one. Feasibility study says we're going to do 10 to $11 million a year in sales in the first year. Uh, and I said, wow, like I was salivating. I was like, this is an opportunity. And truth be told, I missed being in the trenches. I missed having employees. Consulting and speaking to this day are, are still great, but it was just me. And for years when I was uh, doing management consulting, I missed being a part of the team. I missed building and no all cards on the table. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it again. Mm. So I needed to get on the opposite side of the fence. And I probably took, we as business partners probably took five years off our professional life opening up Borrow. It was a mad scramble, but we've built something special and now we've built Petty Cash, an extraordinarily popular venue in Toronto where individuals are waiting two hours to get in on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Quite remarkable. I love it. And I want to get into obviously the concepts that made these restaurants successful. And I love how you break it down in the book, Purpose process and profit. But first, I want to go back to just a little bit of 1-800-GUT-JUNK. And uh, I've interviewed Cameron Harold, and I have Brian Scudamore coming on the show. You know, as people leading the company, I want to know from an employee standpoint, because we interview so many entrepreneurs and owners, and they talked about from, you know, way up looking down, what made it special as an employee working there? I mean, the call center, you could say this is a brand that was admired. What was different about it? The individuals within the business. Uh, Brian is somebody that I've stayed in contact today. And he was a a mentor. He was somebody that I admired and looked up to. He was easily accessible. There's some organizations that have a floor in their building that's only for executives mm. that you need a special fob to be able to get to that floor. Like there's no humanity in that. I felt 1-800-GOT-JUNK was the type of business akin to the business my grandfather operated in the 60s and 70s, and he operated a fish market. Very, very humble, just one fish market. And 
the only way he knew how to connect with and build his business was by connecting with employees and customers. And what I'm advocating is that we need to start building businesses like our grandparents were when there was no such thing as Twitter or SEO or PPC. It was just a straight handshake and rapport and servant leadership, benevolent leadership. Uh, and that's what 1-800-GOD-JUNK still has in the DNA of the company. They're, ask Brian about this. Their uh, slogan is, it's all about the people. And they have that deckled on their wall. And they truly mean it. It's one thing to deckle a platitude on the wall or a slogan of some sort. But it's it's another thing to actually live and breathe it. And what Andy Got Junk did, continues to do. And I used it as a springboard to something else. And that's one thing that the organization pounds their chest on is like, and I've brought this into my business too, is like, I want you to be successful as each and individual team members. If that's with my company, if you aspire to be our executive chef in five years or our bar manager, great, let's do it together. If you are using our company to secure your livelihood because you're in school and you want to become a lawyer, fantastic. Let's do that together too. And I'm not scared of people leaving. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, the key is wanting what's best for the person and not what's best for the person in the relation to your business. There's a big difference there. And I think you you employ that. And many companies don't. So it sounds like Brian and the leadership there, they were just accessible. They were a mentor to you. And obviously, you kind of taken that and, and really run with it. Absolutely. And there's one core belief that I have. Well, I, it's hard to say one. I have many. <laughs> but one, one of which is why must there be a separation between relationships in your personal life and relationships in your business life? When I'm cooking dinner for my mother, am I thinking, what is the ROI of cooking this roast? No, that would be absolutely psychotic. I'm doing this for my mother because I want to continue this strong bond. I want her to know that I care about her. I want it to be an opportunity for us to connect. So why is it that some organizations debate the ROI of systems and processes to enrich the lives of employees and customers at length? It's sometimes, you know, it's a bet on humanity. That if I take care of someone in my business, anyone that interacts with the brand, that I believe the universe will sort me out as well too. Mm. And I recognize that might sound a little fluffy, but that's the way I've chosen to run my businesses. But that's okay. We talk about love constantly here. And we talk about us being a family. And a lot of businesses are against the word family. And they say, no, it's a team. It's not a family. And some very successful businesses. But we're okay with the fluff because that's how we are. And that's how we care about them. And you know what? The ROI has paid off. So each person has their own experiences. And I think going into your book, I really resonated. The process section, there were so many different details and unique things you're doing. But you can't go to the process if you don't start with the purpose. So You talk about your first section in the book, the purpose, Michelle. And my question is, we talk about the purpose of the company, but how do you actually align the purpose of the employees? You know, I want to know some practical examples because a lot of employees or people, do they have their own personal purpose? What do you do with your restaurants, with, you know, your leaders, but also your regular staff to align with the purpose? Well, if the purpose of the employee doesn't align with the purpose of the company, then there can be conflict. But it doesn't have to be attached to the hip. So for example, 
if a team member, and I outlined this person in the book, his name is Jordan Lopez, and he uh, joined the organization as a marketing coordinator and then got promoted into marketing manager. He reports into me directly. His purpose is to one day start his own digital marketing company. The purpose of the company is to deliver seamless experiences to anyone that interacts with our brand. So whether it's guests, employees, vendors, the media, shoot, even the government. Like we have to deal with taxes and we're going to treat the government with great respect as well too. But understanding the purpose of the employee is where kind of the rubber hits the road for some leaders. Either you're going to do it authentically or you're not going to do it at all. And it's about putting people first, fans first, and understanding someone like Jordan who wants to start his own digital marketing company. Our expectation is while you are with the company – you will deliver seamless experiences. The moment that you don't is when we're going to have to have a chat. Mm -hmm. But while you are with the company, we ask you to give yourself to your work and to the workplace and to your colleagues and anyone that interacts with the brand. While you're doing that, let's say call it our um, deal, if you will, or our mutual understanding is that we're going to help you get to your purpose. And as I alluded to or mentioned earlier, Whether that's with or without the company, that's fine. Somebody could genuinely tell me, I want to start a restaurant or a bar or an event space of my own one day. And I would say, great, let's do this together. Would you allow me to invest? It has to be mutually beneficial. It can't just be a take, take, take mentality. And unfortunately, I don't know how many companies genuinely have this within their operating model. The key is then how do you get the the employees to actually feel safe enough to share and say, you know what, I see myself maybe two or three years, this is a stepping stone for me to get into this, to feel safe to share that with you. Because I would guarantee so many employees won't share that because they're like, oh, if they're going to be leaving, then I won't, you know, focus on them as much. So Mm -hmm. we can get into some of the details. But you have breakfast and jam sessions, you call it where you connect with people, you have these different ones where you connect with your people. Do you ask them specifically? What do you want to accomplish? What are your goals? And do many people even know? So we do. I do it on an individual basis through my breakfast and jams and just by way of conversation. But I also ask our general managers of our properties to do that at what's called our GMO, our general manager orientation, which is on day one of their employment. And uh, we'll record their answers. Now, this is an arbitrary number, but I'd probably say it's 50-50. percent of the time, somebody is very clear on what their purpose is. The other 50% is they're still in discovery. And I let them know, like, that's fine to be in that discovery mode. And it's our responsibility to help you find that. And during your time at working within our company, we'll try to expose you to as many things as possible. For example, maybe you come in as a hostess, but in your off hours, you're interested in the bar. So we'll connect you with our bar manager. Maybe it's that side of the business that you might like. Maybe it has nothing to do with this industry. As a matter of fact, I had one of our shift leaders, uh, Laura Conroy, aspires to have a a a line of clothing for snowboarding. And she told me that. And I happened to know somebody who worked at Burton Clothing. Mm -hmm. So I connected the two of them. And I said, I know somebody you need to talk to. Let me connect you with them. And that person very well might take her away from me. And I'm okay with that. 
it's just having that confidence as a leader. And I guess, you know, the great book, Ego is the Enemy. It's not letting yep. the ego of the founders getting in the way of taking care of people. I love that. And I want to get into, I think people are going to be really intrigued on some of these unique things you do as far as the process. But first, Michelle, we got to have our first game. It's Business Jeopardy. Are you mentally prepared? Okay. I am mentally prepared. <laughs> so basically, some of these are from your book. So they're actually... Uh, statistics from your book, and some are actually about companies that really put their employees and customers first. So you need to answer with a question, okay? Okay. This is from your book, but it's tough to remember. This percentage of employees say employee engagement rises when onboarding is improved. Oh, you got me. Um, <laughs> you're good. Let's come back to that one. You got another question? All right, yes. At this company, employees are paid $2,000 to quit after their first week. What is Zappos? Boom. All right. This publishing company was voted top business culture in 2018 by entrepreneurs. What is Scribe Media? <laughs> they, <laughs> yes, nailed it. They call themselves a tribe. They practice whole self-training and all employees have an accountability partners. Scribe Media, you got that right. All right. This company allows employees to spend up to $2,000 to serve their customers. What is Ritz Carlton? Boom. All right. I'll go back to one more statistic here. Gallup poll found that highly engaged business teams resulted in this percentage growth in profitability. What is 20%? Ooh, 21%. I'm very, ah, I'm very impressed. It was in the 20s, and I couldn't remember if it was a round number or an odd number. And, then the, even, and then the one that you missed was the onboardings improved by 53%. The ah, engagement I was going to say 42. And the truth be told... I'm sitting in front of 110 books that I just signed, and I was scrambling through the book. That wasn't very genuine, but um, I, awesome. That was fun, man. Well, you know what's interesting? Stats are hard to remember. It's the stories, and the, it's how they make you feel. Stats don't necessarily make you feel something. It's a number. So I, I, when you talk about stories, that, I mean, it's easy to remember Zappos and Ritz-Carlton because there's stories that go right. along with those. So, But I do want it. That's going to be a good transition, Michelle, because you're onboarding. I absolutely love, and we can get into the details, but maybe we should start with the seven-step interview process, which I think is absolutely a game changer. So can you go through it briefly? Because I think everyone should employ this. Yes. So to give you context, I built this in a robust way prior to opening up Borrow. So we needed to go from zero to 100 uh, on day one. And I recognize that we're operating in an industry that has very high turnover. Individuals see hospitality uh, often as a transient industry. And if we were going to combat this, something needed to change. And it was the interview process. Before joining my business partners, they kind of had a one and done type uh, interview process where it's like they showed up on time, they're hired, right, for the interview. They're hired for the job. So the first step is the phone screen. Now. During the phone screen, one of the things we asked five general questions. A couple of things that we're listening for is how does this individual answer their phone? Is it in a professional manner or not? Because if they don't represent themselves well as individuals, what's the likelihood that they're going to represent your brand well? Now, it's not a hundred percent foolproof, but if somebody doesn't answer the phone in a professional manner or doesn't sound excited to hear from you, then I'm kind of putting an X to their name, and it's kind of like there's one strike. Another Wait, is, let me just jump in here, Michelle, for one second. So we would always have people call us to see if they will call on time, but you're calling them to see how they answer the phone. Is that correct? That's right. So I call them, and they don't know we're calling, so we call at any time. 
another thing that I'm listening for is, you know, what does their voicemail sound like? Again, is it sound professional? These are the little cues that I'm trying to pick up on uh, from the very first moment that we interact with them. Because first impressions matter, right? And, and we know that matters when serving our guests. So what type of impressions are we uh, sharing with each other as potential colleagues? After that, we do something called the predictive index. It's a two-question assessment that will tell us how this individual behaves in the workplace. You know, what ticks them off? What makes them tick? It's a great tool that we use regardless of position. So the and is it always the same two questions? It is. Okay. Yeah. Next is the culture interview. If the individual passes the phone screen and completes a predictive index, we'll host a group culture interview. As a matter of fact, I, I hosted one yesterday for a marketing, a senior marketing manager role that we're recruiting for. So it's two people representing the company at the table. And then on the opposite side of the table, it's up to four individuals that are competing for the same position. And you ask them the same questions. And the only questions that we are asking are two questions per core value that we have. So we have five core values. We're going to be asking 10 questions and each candidate needs to answer them. We only are focused on culture at this point. As a matter of fact, I recommend the interview I went to yesterday. The only thing I knew about the people at that table were their first names. I didn't know where they worked before. I didn't even know if they knew how to do the job. The person that was with me, her name is Laura, our leads our people department, she knew all that. The reason I did not want to know what their skill set was like at that moment was because I didn't want to be jaded by their past experiences. The only thing I was focused on was, is this individual going to fit within our culture? Mm -hmm. And often, if you go into an interview and you're like, oh, but this person used to work at the Ritz-Carlton uh, you become enamored by their past successes that you neglect to recognize that this person's not going to fit in our culture. And Michelle, what I love about this is that it's set up like a pyramid. If you don't get through the phone screen, you don't move to the test. If you don't exactly. get through the test, you don't move to the culture interview. And I think the huge point in this, which I circled over and over again in, in the book and started writing down, was the questions per core value. Here mm -hmm. at, at Fans First, we are always be caring, different, enthusiastic, fun, growing, and hungry. Yet, we always really check about the caring, but are we talking about how much they're growing or how much enthusiasm they have? Do they think differently? Do we ask all those questions? And I think that is such a smart way to interview. And what I'm really intrigued about with you is obviously your leadership, but what if someone is just a hostess or a line cook in the back? Do they go through this exact same process? They do. Love the it. questions obviously change in the skill set and the assignment uh, portion, but yes, they go through the same process. And Nobody culture. is excused. And so if you have four people that are interviewed, you ask the same question, and isn't the third or the fourth person almost feel like they're recycling the same verbiage? That's the best part of it. So we start, so I'll ask question one, I'll start from the left and go to the right. The second question starts from the right and goes to the left. So that way the people at the ends aren't the ones that will always answer first. So that's how you combat that. But it's also interesting to see how people respond to being the last person to answer and be like, ah, they took all my answers, right? So it's, it's interesting to see how that happens. This may be the most important part of the pro I'm thinking from my standpoint, if they have the culture and unbelievable as far as the core values, you can to an extent, teach a lot of the skills. At least in our business, you can. You can teach a lot of the other things, but do they have the culture? And most people probably just ask one culture question. If you're lucky, at the end, you're putting this really in the middle of the process 
to make sure, hey, you don't move. I mean, I bet you a lot of people don't make it past that. They don't. I don't have the statistic to share with you, but for example, tomorrow, um, yesterday's interview, I'm not going to be welcoming back uh, two individuals out of the four. And I'll do that very respectfully, of course, but the other two individuals will move to the next step, which is skill set. And to go back to the culture interview, actually, one of our core values is celebration. So the questions that you ask related to the core value don't even have to do with work. The question that I asked yesterday, because I kind of felt like changing up the questions on the fly, and I had Laura looking at me being like, those are the questions that we asked, but I, I was just going with it. But so I'm trying to understand if these people know how to celebrate each other, because our core value is we celebrate our guests and we celebrate each other in the workplace. So I asked him a question. I said, when's the last time that you planned a birthday party or a housewarming party, some sort of event? Because I want to see if they know how to be celebratory. And then I asked, how did that make you feel after you hosted that event? So it was completely unrelated to work. Mm. I was trying to figure out how they operate as an individual. To keep going um, through the process, the next one is the skill, skill interview. Skill, so this is where I care okay. if they know how to do the job. And then if they pass that, they go to an assignment. It's a take-home assignment. And it will be something, let's say we're hiring for this marketing manager role. We will have them edit three pages of copy for grammar and diction. We'll have them complete a Facebook ad, like a mock Facebook ad, and do a couple things at home related to their work, uh, related to the role that will take them anywhere between four, six to eight hours. Mm. And I send it to them on Friday, about noon or just afternoon. And I ask them to send it back to me by Monday at 10 a.m. And the reason why is because I want to see who's willing to give up their a portion of their weekend to work for our company. And if somebody's not willing to give up their a portion of their weekend to join our company, I don't know if they are fully committed to their career. And within, especially with senior roles, it, this is your prerogative. If you want your weekends to go and entertain yourself, then that's fine. Mm. That's 100% fine. But I'm very attracted to individuals that are like, I'm going to give myself to my career and, and I want to join this organization. And it's very interesting. About 50% of candidates will drop off at that point. That's what I want. I'm trying to squeeze people out early because that's a great way to increase your employee retention. Yeah. That's tough. I think probably a lot of entrepreneurs are struggling with that because you really want people to have their own time. But I guess it is showing for us, like, are you hungry? Do you want to be a part of this? And it doesn't, in the restaurant industry, you do work on weekends. It's a little different if you're a nine to five and you're asking people to really do all your work through the weekend. That assignment seems almost off putting. But this I can actually see because you're going to have to work late nights, weekends. That's part of who you are. So that makes sense. And the final part, so Michelle, you go from the phone screen, the test, the culture interview, the skill set, the assignment, and what are the last two steps? The decision and the offer. So two people will always come together for the decision. Two individuals have to sign off on every single candidate mm -hmm. and uh, who represent the company, of course. And then the offer. The offer uh, is something celebratory. So we don't just send an email and say you're hired or have just a, a boring conversation. We try to make it celebratory because some of these individuals might be relocating to join us. They might be leaving a workplace. They've been there for five years. So we want to make this celebratory for them. So we'll jump on the phone with them and make it fun and welcome them to the organization. You know, I love that.
And then the onboarding is where we have a lot of fun. And we've taken a lot of focus on this as well. We try to create like the most amazing first day for our people. But I love a few of the things you do. The $20 question and surprise. Share that one. Yes. So in the culture interview, we ask a question. And Jesse, we can role play here. We ask a question. What is an indulgence that you can't live without that costs less than $20? <laughs> I thought about that when I was reading the book. And I was like, what is that? I'm a big food guy. And I don't know if it's live without, because that's tough, but big burrito guy, huge burrito okay. guy. So I would say- um, Something to do, okay. Monster There's, burrito. Okay, so let's say we were operating a venue in, in Savannah where you're based. On day one, the first thing that you were introduced to is a handwritten card signed by uh, the partners or the general managers of the venue welcoming you and thanking you for choosing us to be your workplace. Uh, and then- you're presented with your $20 gift along with the peers that you were hired with. So picture yourself being in a training room and you're given these gift baskets and gift bags that has a handwritten card and then you have a gift certificate to your monster burrito and then the person next to you has a bag of red Skittles. The person next to you has bags of Cool Ranch Dorito chips and then uh, somebody has nail polish, yes. uh, like a red nail polish or Sorry, that's what I should have answered. That's what I can't live without is the red nail. <laughs> so I stick on with that one. I always miss that one. <laughs> the reason we do this is there are a number of reasons. One of which is we're trying to create an experience for you that you've never seen before. Because as soon as you hit the floor and start serving our guests, we're going to ask you to do the same. And we would never tell you to do anything that we wouldn't be prepared to do for you first. And that's the whole ethos of the people first culture. Not only that, you're about to go into training. And if we're able to pull at your heartstrings a little bit and make you feel something that you've never felt before in the workplace, that sense of care, well, you're going to go into training with high engagement. Having high engagement during knowledge training is very important because the likelihood that your knowledge retention will be higher once you're done training is that much more achievable because we did something for you that made you feel appreciated and you're going to go home and tell your spouse mm -hmm. or your best friend or whoever might be. So, you know, we're similar to you. We're trying to do things differently in an uberly competitive industry. A hundred percent. And you know what I love too about the $20 question, you ask it way early in the interview process. So they forget about it. So when they start a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month later, they're all of a sudden like, wow, I can't believe they remembered. And you're setting the tone for caring and you set the tone for caring in the interview process. And it's asking those questions and taking notes. I heard recently, you got to listen carefully, but respond creatively. Like we just recently heard some people that really want to go to this concert. Well, do you surprise them with that? When you hear those things, what do you do? There's things like that. And I love that onboarding. I also love the two truths and a lie. Are you actually doing that or you just heard of the company that's doing that? We are doing that as well too. So Bonobos is the company that I learned that from. And it's a way to bridge the gap. Like one thing that we learned was sometimes some of we've hired people that I uh, haven't integrated themselves into the company too well, only because they're a bit shy. So we thought to ourselves, how can we better this? And with their permission, we say, do you want to play two truths and a lie with us? And once we tell them what it is, it's we want you to tell us what are two things about yourself that are true and one that's a lie. We'll gather that. Then we'll email everyone in the company 
and the first person to approach you and determine which ones are the truths and which ones are the lie, get a gift certificate to the restaurant. And that allows individuals to be integrated in the company and have people from different departments come and speak to them. The key is, is you want to ensure that that person is comfortable playing the game because it could be overwhelming for them if a hundred people in one day came to talk to them. So get their buy-in first and then do it. And it works well. I love it because it gets everyone to know each other in a fun way. And I think people the first day, they don't know people and we're going to start putting that into play. All right. Before we get to our next game, the chapter that stood out was like, make your employees cry. And obviously I love, I knew where you were going with this, but I love it. And just give me some example here of making, I know you're not coming in and berating them. You're bringing something that I like to call here, happy tears that we try to create. Can you share, share something from that? It's an emotional experience. I'm generally trying to make employees cry because they know how much we care about them. It's just an emotion that I want them to invoke and feel throughout their tenure of our company. So if there's something that I can do to make them feel something that they've never felt before in their workplace, that sense of care, then we're going to do it, regardless of whether the ROI is there or not. I mentioned in the book that I personally paid for an employee to go see her mother in Columbia that she hadn't seen in years. Because when she told me that story, I thought to myself, I'm like, if I didn't see my mom in years, it would cripple me. Mm. And I got to do something about this. And actually, nobody in the company knew that I did that. The first time I announced it was actually in this book. Mm. And because I wasn't looking for admiration, I wasn't looking for accolades. It was just like, this is the right thing to do. And guess what? She left. She left, saw her mother, came back, realized that she wanted to do something else with her career, and she left. And I was fine with that. Yes. Like, I'm not going to be like, pay me back. Like, that would be like, so be it. I now can live my life knowing that I connected a daughter and a mother. There's not much more beautiful gesture than that. And it's setting the tone. It's those stories is what builds a company. You know, you can Absolutely. talk about your core values of beliefs, but that now people will talk about this. Now, you could talk, this company cares, we really care. It's till you do things like that with someone leaving. It didn't even like work out where they're going to be with you forever, but you did the right thing. And I think that's so powerful and making your employees cry. Like I said, we think about happy tears, those moments where yeah. you're so happy, you're crying. We've had fans go through at the stadium and they're, don't worry, these are happy tears. I had an eight-year-old kid tell me at a game because we surprised him with all these gifts and made it the best night of his life. Those are the moments that really matter. So. Michelle, this is the perfect segue for our next game, Truth and Dare. Which one would you like first? Let's go Truth. All right. So what's one moment in your business that you actually cried, that you became so emotional over something that happened? Ooh, that's a really good question. I'm thinking of one. I didn't cry as much as I was frustrated, and that might have been angry tears bizarre no let's not talk about that i don't think i have personally actually i came close a proud during my yes during my book launch i had our team members come together and do what's called micro customer experiences to me so a micro customer experience is outlined in the book and i've been advocating that we must do this for our customers and come book launch day when i threw my book launch party at our venue they did it for me so they did this gesture for me And they got this bag of like just goodies of everything that I love. Mm -hmm. So a pair of Nike workout shoes, a t-shirt, 
a business magazine, a notebook, like just, and I didn't so much cry as I did feel like, wow, this is, we've built something special and not I've built something special. We've built something special. So that was that time. Mm, Love it. And again, I'm saying this theme over and over again. It is the emotion economy. How do you make people feel? And you probably just felt, like you said, so proud you've built something. And that is what this people first culture creates every day. So I think that's the huge theme. But Michelle, don't think you're getting away from the dare. All right. Are you ready? All right. Let's do it. So this is a game we play at the ballpark. It's called a sing-off. We actually do it between the entire stadium. So one whole grandstand versus the entire grandstand. When the song stops, you have to finish those song lyrics. Okay. All right. So this could be really dangerous. You know, Joey, who's done this, he can sing a little bit. I don't know about you, Michelle, but when the song stops, you have to finish. You ready? Yes. Here we go. Oh. And I, I was, that's Steven Tyler, right? Yeah, it's here. I'll play it for you. The famous song Crying by Aerosmith. If you had put on 90s West Coast hip hop, I would have gone on <laughs> until like tomorrow. I <laughs> hear um, so I was, all the listeners, I've failed you. I, no, I, I, hey, it's okay. We've had a few miss, and I was this was tough. I was going to the theme, crying. See, I was trying to make your employees ah, cry, going with the theme there. All right, I like it. I like it. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, it's okay. All right, we're gonna finish with some fun sessions. You, you came in second so far on that one. All right. <laughs> Actually, funny story, Michelle. My freshman year at Wofford College, a small Division One school, we went nine and forty for the entire season. Like we went an entire month without winning games. We were terrible. And my grandmother would call me and say, how did you do? And I'd be on the bus with the team. And I would say, we came in second. And she goes, oh, honey, that's great. So she kept asking that after about three weekends. She said, how many teams were there this weekend? I said, there's always been only two. And she goes, so you've lost every game? I go, yes, we have. So it's just a different way of looking at it. You came in second. (laughs) All right. You mentioned this briefly in the book, the Employee Advisory Board is absolutely brilliant. We're putting it into our company. Can you explain it briefly? Because I think every single company that has part-time staff should put this into action right away. Yeah, so it is a team of individuals within the business who are elected by their peers to meet with my business partner and I named Brandon uh, for four hours uh, once a month in an off-the-record conversation. So at the table is one individual per department. So one dishwasher, one sous chef, uh, one bartender, one hostess, and so forth. And we ask two questions. One is, what is the current state of our workplace? The good and the constructive. And two, describe the workplace of your dreams. And Brandon and I capture all of the notes. Again, it's off the record. So a team member shouldn't say, I believe our general manager should do X. It's, I believe our management team has an opportunity to do Y. Right. So keep it general because we're not trying to attack people. We'll take the feedback and then we'll immediately call a meeting with our management team. More often than not, it's our GM and our AGM. And we'll say, here's the feedback that we've gotten. And again, this is anonymous, so there's no names attached. And we'll say, is there any validity to any of this? And more often than not, there's an opportunity to improve. And sometimes there's justification in why our management team might be doing certain things. But then I tell them, I say, okay, If there's a reason why you're doing these things, well, you must communicate better. 
because when there's absence of communication, assumptions are going to be developed within the team. And then we host go to the next month meeting and we talk about the feedback from the month before and then get into new feedback. Mm. And uh, it's great because a number of reasons. One, as operators, uh, myself and my business partner, find out things that sometimes we, we wouldn't have heard about. Yeah, Keeps us in the know, allows us opportunities to contribute in building more operational initiatives and improvement plans. It gives the team member higher morale mm-hmm. because they're meeting with the owners of the company and, and they're able to voice their opinion. It's worth noting as well, too, um, the individuals that represent their department are responsible for crowdsourcing their peers' information uh, mm-hmm. for the meeting as well, yeah. too. So it's not just their opinion. If they know that the next meeting is on November 16th, well, I'll let them know today. That's the date. You have 10 days to gather feedback from your peers. Mm-hmm. And so that way, everybody has a seat at the table. You know, I love because you're showing the people that maybe just started or that they're part-time staff that you care as much as the leaders that are driving the company. And I bet so many entrepreneurs aren't doing that. And I loved the part in, in your book where you talked about the line cook, uh, Eric, who said, this is the first company I've ever been proud to work for. And I yeah. think that's brilliant because how many companies are actually thinking, do their people feel proud? And if they feel proud, what are you doing to make them feel proud? Yeah, Eric Lockwood. That was actually one time where he shared something with me. I was like, we're really making a difference. And sure, are we solving world hunger? No. But for the Eric Lockwoods, like they've never worked in a workplace where they have felt proud before. So that was very nice to hear. Mm, I love it. Uh, one thing too, I love this. You've changed my thought process. It's no longer training. It's educating. Yeah. So I read that and that was from JT McCormick, the CEO of Scribe Media and uh, or the present. And I read that on LinkedIn and I was like, that is brilliant. And it's, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's we train dogs and we train dolphins and elephants. We educate team members. Mm. And I was like, that is brilliant. Mm. Language, I'm a language crusader in our business. I don't like the word staff. I don't like the word even customers, really. I prefer guests. I don't like in our industry, they refer to the area where the dishwashers work as the dish pit. Like, who on <laughs> earth wants to work in a dish pit? Like, that is so derogatory. So I was like, this is the dish area. Mm. And, you know, we're not the back of house, we're the heart of house. And we learned that from Lewis Carlton. But language really matters. Yeah. How can you eliminate negative verbiage? Obviously, getting rid of the no problems and don't worry. Whenever you say don't to something, the neg- usually next word is negative. So we think about yeah. the same thing. And I think that's part of you talk about your education program. We're setting up all things. Instead of two weeks, three weeks of training before our season, we're just going to call it Fans First You, where we teach, educate, and coach for two weeks about our curriculum of who we are, how we make people feel, what we stand for. And you did a great thing. And I know we're, we're running low on time, but customer service versus customer experience, which is a big difference in your mind. Yeah, uh, customer service are actions, uh, very important. When you go to the grocery store and pay for your groceries, uh, that individual is delivering an action to you. So customer service is an action. Customer experience is a collection of interactions that your customers have with you from beginning to end. And those interactions must be designed and maintained because where you excel today is where you might be irrelevant tomorrow. And if 
you want to prevent that from happening, you must continuously refine your customer experience. My biggest fear as an entrepreneur is becoming irrelevant. Mm. And that's genuinely what keeps me up mm. because I don't want to rest on laurels. I don't want us to even know that we're great because one of our core values is humility. Our RNPS is through the roof. Our Google reviews is through the roof. And I do want us to celebrate, but not for too long. <laughs> for like, I have a rule of thumb and this is just for me. You know, if I do a good job at keynote speaking engagement that I'm hosting, I celebrate for seven minutes mm. and I literally time it on my phone. <laughs> and because it's enough time to drink a tequila and <laughs> or eat a Big Mac and then it's done. Mm. Like I'll remember, like I'll review why we did a good job or why I did a good job. And then and then it's over and done with it. And then I continue forward. And mm. It's working for me. I love that. The irrelevance. I mean, I think about that as well. And I believe when you're on top of your game is almost the best time to reinvent. And people get complacent there. So I'm 100% with you. I want to finish with a quick flip the script. And then our final two questions after that. And I've been grilling you for 50 minutes, Michelle. So it's your chance. You are now the host of Business Done Differently. And you can ask me any one question. I ask this question often. If you were to partner with any recognizable business person to start a business, who would it be and why? I'm breaking the rules because that's how I don't answer questions the normal way. I'm going with Walt Disney. I understand he's not here. He's been gone for 60 plus years, but 5 million percent Walt Disney. I've looked up to him. I've read every book on him. And he had this vision that is unbelievable. He'd always say it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And he dealt with more adversity, more hardships than many entrepreneurs could even fathom these days. And he kept yeah. pushing because he had this big vision. And he started small and kept thinking bigger, bigger. And the great thing about Disney is that he's been gone for 60, 70 years, whatever it is at this point, And still the core values of the company are stronger than they've ever been. And that doesn't happen. You've got Chick-fil-A with True Cathy. You've got Walt Disney. But very few companies say that. And that means he built something that's unbelievable. So he would be the person I would build and know that the legacy would carry on for many years. Great question. Well well said, man. <laughs> Very good question. All right, final two here. What have you done to stand out in business and in life? To do the ordinary exceptional. I often think such as serving your community, onboarding your employees can be things that are, are passive and people approach it in a, in a passive manner. If I'm going to do anything and I don't do everything, I want to do it exceptionally, whether that's in my personal life or my professional life. I have to do everything with a great sense of purpose and passion, and it has to align with my values. And that's how I would answer that question. I love it. And finally, how do you want to be remembered? I say this in the book. Now, individuals might not use this exact language, but I want people to think that I made them feel safe, whether that's my mother or my sister, when we're walking down a seedy street in Toronto, or my employees or my customers, like my employees felt safe in their workplace. It has nothing to do with physical harm it, it, or protection. It has to do with, I was in an environment that allowed me to thrive and I felt safe there. They had my best interests in mind. I want our guests to feel that as well too. They don't go out every single night, but when they do go out, they want to come to my properties because they know that we deliver a great experience. So that's how I want people to remember me. And throwing a couple other things is super high integrity and 
he said what he he did what he said he was going to do. Mm, I love it. Well, I'll tell you, you're doing just that. The first time I met you at MMT, I felt connected with you. I was like, wow, this this guy is amazing. You're a practitioner. You're doing it. You're not just teaching it. You're doing it. You're learning every day. And this people first culture made an impact on me. I've already shared it with the business, all of our employees here. But how else could people connect with you, Michelle? Because I'll tell you, you are doing things and there's someone to watch over the next few years. Thank you. My parents blessed and cursed me with this unique name. So it's there's nobody else online with my first and last name. So go <laughs> online, go on your social platforms, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or whatever, and just search my first and last name. I'm probably on there. So it's at Michelle Falcon. Awesome. Beautiful. Connect with him. And Michelle, any final words you want to leave us with? I've heard so many people talk about Savannah, Georgia, and how nice it is that I probably should head my head over there. I think we're going to have to host you. You're going to have to go bananas with us. And hopefully we can give you a people first, amazing experience. Michelle, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much, Jesse. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.